The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. Cross green. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 61 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I am joined as always by my co-host who is in the Downton Abbey movie waiting room right now. But, Zandrick, Ellison, Zan, how are you this morning? Good, I'm excited. You don't feel nostalgic about the aristocratic past of Great Britain? What's wrong with you? I'm just really happy that my wife hasn't made me uh, go to that movie. I'm assuming you're taking your wife to the movie. Like, you're asking her to go see it, is what I've gathered. Absolutely. I miss my old friends. Um, And same applies to the NBA, because, you know, the media days there, and we see all these guys. Like, does it feel like it's been too long for me I, I don't feel that nostalgic i feel like i could wait another month or two before we get back in the swing of things well as of this show airing there are 19 days until the start of the nba season i actually looked that up and there's a lot of stuff to go over uh, so we previewed the six divisions last week i think we both picked like 27 playoff teams on uh you know in total so this week we will give you uh, no over-unders. We'll talk about some over-unders from Bovada Sportsbook, but we'll also talk about some other kind of uh, value plays, I think, especially in regards to like maybe Rookie of the Year and MVP. But I think, Zan, our, our aim this week is some make-or-break guys. Yeah, well, you know, I, you know we want to ignore like the media day stupid storylines that you hear a lot about like as i was reading mitchell robinson's gonna shoot a lot of threes or you know damon lillard fighting with Shaq. like no one really cares that doesn't matter we want things that are actually gonna matter in the season and that's why we talk about make or break or, or stakes you know that's like an la term you know what i mean it's like if you're making a movie and it's about a guy who finds a treasure map like that sounds like a pretty good movie right let's add some more stakes let's say if he his kid is dying and needs a costly surgery. And therefore this mission is to find the treasure has a lot of stakes, life or death stakes. And so that's really like the theme of our episode, like which players have the most to gain and the most to lose this season. So was that actually the first draft of national treasure one? Was this like he had a kid that was maybe, was dying. Yeah, maybe his dad was dying. John Voigt was struggling. So I guess we'll call this episode uh, NBA treasure book of secrets nice that's why they pay you the big bucks <laughs> and, uh, uh, so let's jump right into it and with literal riches because the first like group we're going to do it by like you know like tiers or genres if you want to stick to the la theme um guys who actually might have treasure at the end of the, the road people slated for a free agency if uh, they have huge years. They could get huge contracts. So let's start with like the one that's really intriguing to both of us. Jalen Brown on Boston is going to be a restricted free agent at the end of this year. What's going to happen with this guy? Yeah, and and Jalen's a guy. You know, he played for Team USA this summer. I think he's a guy that people have just kind of been waiting to break out over and over again. And it's you know, two years ago, Zan, or even at the start of last year, I think people were like, man, Boston has this like absolute glut of wings, like him, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward with Kyrie Irving, like they're going to be awesome. And all of a sudden, Kyrie's gone. Al Horford's gone. We talked about this. 
their over-under on Bovada is, is 49 and a half, which is like, I think for them to reach that title or to reach that number, Jalen Brown's got to be really good. And I don't, I don't think really good for him is like 13 and five. Like we need to see him take a legitimate jump as a scorer. Otherwise, you know, I, I mean, Boston's not offering him an $80 million extension. I mean, he's a $10 million a year player, I think, but he's really like their seventh man. Like I would expect Gordon Hayward to probably be a little bit better than Jalen Brown this year. And I just don't see, I mean, I don't, I don't see the hype around him right now. Like I, I he wasn't very good for team USA. He just wasn't. No, he wasn't. I think you're underselling him. If you think he's going to get 10 million a year. Um, it's sort of that for, for two things. He has like the draft pedigree. I mean, like, I don't think he played particularly well at Cal, but he was the third pick. So that's like a check in his favor. He plays in Boston. And like, how often do we see guys in Boston kind of get overhyped, you know? And they never really leave Boston and do better. You know, it's like Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, Avery Bradley, we might talk about in a bit. But like, their peak hype, their peak reputation is usually in that Boston Maelstrom media, like, hyping them up and um i think he's become a bigger name than the stats may suggest he is like a 13 and 5 guy the last couple of years he kind of plateaued last year but i think i think some team is gonna like talk themselves into his potential still and and give him close to 20 million dollars a year okay so what what do you think his ceiling is this year so he averaged 13 and 4 last year he shot 34 percent from three 25 minutes a game He's obviously going to play, I would assume he's going to play a few more minutes. You know, two years ago, he played 30 minutes a game. He played 70 games two years ago, 74. Last year, only started 25. Is Jalen Brown a starter this year? Are you paying? Is, is he better than, okay, is he better than Jay Crowder? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, Jay Crowder is one of those guys who also had like a hot shooting one year and then and then got a little hype from that and then regressed. I, and I think Jalen Brown can legitimately improve. He's still young. He's smart like i have such a, like a complicated relationship with jalen brown in this sense like i was like a jalen brown hater like in college like i remember specifically like betting heavily against him in the tournament at cal they're playing hawaii and i'm like this guy's just not really ready to be a winning player yet and he had like one of the worst games in ncaa tournament history Do you remember that he was like one for seven with like six turnovers and they lost in the first round i mean he's just not a guy you know you just can't throw the ball to jalen brown he's like much more of like an athlete i think he, he's a really smart guy like don't get me wrong like off the court he's really really smart but you know jalen brown is who he is like he's an attack closeouts guy like he's he's a shoot an open corner threes like get a big offensive rebound like you're not throwing the ball to jalen brown i mean like get me a bucket and at cal i mean obviously it was on display like crazy well, and that's why, like, I kind of hated on him then, and I thought it was kind of crazy that he went third over. I don't know. I, I I like Jamal Murray in that draft. I thought he was better, and and probably been proven right in that regard. But since then, like, I've kind of come around on Jalen Brown in this sense. Like, he's g- pretty good at everything, right? Or at least average at everything. Like, is he? He's not going to hurt your team in any way. You could fill him into a number of spots. Like, you like him more as like uh, I think they're going to play him a little bit more as a small ball four. I mean, I think you have to. I, I just don't think he's a three right now. Yeah, but he, I think he can play a few different spots. He can shoot a little bit. He's a pretty good defender. Like, if you pay him $15, 20 million a year, like, I don't think it's going to sink your team in the same way it would for, like, an Andrew Wiggins type. So, and I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I think he's a fine addition. The fact that he's restricted... Um, is what do you think the limit is for Boston? Let's say he has like a slight improvement year. Let's say he goes up to like 15 and six. 
and plays pretty well. Like, what do you think Boston's limit is in matching? I mean, I don't think they're giving him a hundred million, uh, especially. But Gordon Hayward's contract can come off the books this year. Uh, he has an opt out. Don't know if it will. If he plays bad again, it certainly will not. But you got to pay Jason Tatum in a year. They're obviously going to max Jason Tatum. They're paying a lot of money for Kemba Walker. I think twenty million a year. Like, I think four years and eighty million is probably. I even think that's a little rich. But I think somebody will probably come along with that type of deal for him. Because again. The idea of like a 3 and D wing who can kind of scale up. He is 22 years old. I believe he might be 23 when the season starts. Let me take a look. Yeah, he's 20, he turns 23 and like, he'll be 23 on opening night. So like, let's talk about the stakes. So that's sort of our theme. So best case scenario, you know, he breaks out at 18 and six. And would he potentially be a max guy? Maybe. I mean, it might take an injury or two for that to happen around him. But like worst case scenario, let's say he's just the same guy that we've seen. Somebody's going to overpay, and the free agent class stinks. So, like, that's my point. It's 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 more for me. It's like if you're Boston, what's your limit? Because I it would not stun me if like Sam Presti was like, we have a ton of cap space, we need wings, we like this guy. Here's 110 million dollars. I think it would be I think it would be too much. But if you're Boston, you can't match that deal, right? This isn't an Auto Porter situation, I don't think, because Boston is a little bit more flexible with their assets. So I could see them letting Jalen Brown walk if the contract was out of control. And that's why it's, you know, so maybe the stakes aren't like life or death for him. He doesn't have a dying son, but it could mean the difference between, you know, 80 million and a hundred plus million. And a lot of it comes down to like, you know, shooting threes. Cause it's like, we're so obsessed with that in the NBA now. And he's been up and down 34%, then 39%, then 34%. Again, it's just like, which of those, um, fates you land on might depend like how many millions of dollars you get. Let's last thought on him from me. If he shoots 39% from three this year and averages like 15, five and three, he's getting a hundred million from somebody. And maybe it'll be, maybe it'll be Boston. Cause you got to spend at some point, you know? And it's funny. It's funny that like, it's just a general NBA thought, like your three percent is just something like immediately people look at. So you could almost have a better year, but if you shoot, you know, 34% from three, they're like, Oh, that's not good. And but if you see that 38, 39 number from him, suddenly he's a great shooter and then you could pay him an like unlimited amount of money. I mean, I think with him too, like a lot of it is tied into his defense. And I, I think his people view him as a very good defender. But if you end up playing him at the four a little bit more, like who knows, maybe he finds, because he's a big dude, thick kid. Like, you know, maybe you see like, okay, we can play him at the three or the four. He can play make a little bit out of the four because I think that's what teams are, they're having a lot of success playing guys like that at the four. So if you think he has a chance to be Paul George, which I don't think he is, I don't think he's Kawhi Leonard. He has never shown that type of wiggle in the ball screen. Like I think like that's what you talk yourself into if you're an organization who wants to spend on him. But next guy, who do we got? Well, it's interesting. Almost similar. Same draft class. The pick right before him, Brandon Ingram, who's more seen as like a sure thing. Um, and now he's almost more in the nebulous. Like what's his fate? You know, he started to kind of shine a little bit in his second year for the Lakers with the ball in his hands. When LeBron comes over, he looked a little less comfortable, although he did average 18 points a game, um, didn't do it with great efficiency. And now he's part of that Anthony Davis package. So he goes to New Orleans. I don't know his role there necessarily. And then his fate at the end of the year is going to be a restricted free agent as well. So I didn't, based on pedigree, you would say, oh, you know, max him, but does he deserve it? What does he need to do to show that he deserves 20 plus million dollars a year? 
So I have no idea. I've, I looked this up on Bovada, but they didn't have it. If I could get Brandon Ingram most improved player odds this year, that would be something I'd be very interested in. I think he's going to have a very good year. I do think he's likely to get a max from somebody. I don't know if New Orleans will match. I think they probably will if he's as good as I think he'll be. But to me, like I think Brandon Ingram is a 20-point-per-game scorer. I think he's going to get a ton of open shots this year. I think he's going to knock down threes. I think he gets to play with better players around him. There's going to be a lot more space. It's a much better situation. I, the guy's 21 years old, man. Like, I know you're uh, – when guys get picked second or first overall, like, you never <laughs> give up on them. But, right. like, for me, like, if Brandon Ingram doesn't succeed in this situation, it is a giant red flag for him succeeding anywhere else in the future. But I think he is going to succeed. Well, that's why it's interesting. And, again, like – same with Jalen Brown. Like the first thing you look at for these guys is like, how are they shooting at three? And he doesn't shoot a lot, but it seems like he's up and down 29% as a rookie, then 39%. Then he fell back to 33%. And you may say, Hey, he's up or down. But I think if you look a little deeper, like you can see some clear improvement um, in this regard, like his two point percentage. And he shoots a lot more twos than threes went from 44 to 48 up to 52 you know, as he gets a little bit stronger. And that's like reflective in his true shooting percentage, which has gone up every year, 48 to 53 to 55 last year. So he's becoming a better player, even if it, the, the, you know, all the stats don't reflect that. He has a lot of opportunity there, but I think for him to actually earn a max or somebody that I would be comfortable paying a max, he's got to extend his range. He can't take 12 twos and two threes. It's just not a path to success unless you're Kevin Durant. Yeah. One, one of the interesting things with him is he improved in ISO. He improved in pick and roll. He was essentially, as far as like rate stats go, like he was the same player on offense. He was the year before. And that was with shooting threes at a worse clip and a worse rate. So my expectation was, would be with him getting more open shots. And I, I mean, like I said, I think this Pelicans team is going to be really fun to watch. I don't know how many games they're going to win. So I don't know if like if Brandon Ingram averages like 21, five and five on a team that wins like 31 games, I don't know how teams value that, but a 21-year-old that does that, like I, I would be pretty comfortable putting money on him getting a max deal from somebody. Well, do you think that New Orleans, you know, they traded Anthony Davis for him. Do they feel like they're pot committed? They kind of have to max him just to prove a point? Yes. If he has a good year for them, you can't let him walk. You just cannot. But the, what's like the downside? Like we talk about stakes and let's say he averages 18 again with like below average efficiency. And doesn't shoot threes well and, you know, doesn't rebound that well for his size. What do you do? Like, do you just say, hey, we just need talent. We, we need the name, you know, like keep him for $20 million a year. Or is he, is that like the mistake that like Minnesota got into with Andrew Wiggins? Yeah. You know, and, and, and just bear in mind with Brandon Ingram, his numbers are nowhere close to what Andrew Wiggins's were at this stage in their career. Like Andrew Wiggins averaged like 23 points a game on like, 50% from two, you know, he just wasn't a very good player, but he is rate stats for, or his accounting stats were like way better. I think if you're New Orleans, like, here's the thing, you have a pretty large window with Zion, hopefully being one of the best players in the NBA by the time his rookie deal runs out. I don't know that that's going to be the case. I'm not predicting that, but with Ingram, I think you kind of have to look at it like, okay, what's our kind of opportunity cost if we do max this guy and he is just who we see like he's just a volume scorer and like we can't necessarily put him in another situation and I, and I think like that's what this season is for like I would be pretty confident that both Jalen Brown and uh, the next guy we're going to talk about Domitas Sabonis get extensions before the season I don't think you do that with Brandon Ingram I think this is an absolute prove it year for him and you just because because here's the thing if he's great and another team maxes him you're fine matching it you know 
So I just wouldn't shoot myself in the foot. Right. And that's why, like, I think that I mentioned the threes again is like the fit is important because Zion's your star. He's your franchise player. And ideally you'd have, you know, long shooters around him and, and Ingram can be that guy. But if he can't consistently hit the three and he's more of like a mid range guy, it clogs the court a little bit. Then you start to wonder, you know, can you play him at the four and the five? Maybe that would be a fix for that. But if not, then are we going to ever have enough spacing that we need if we lock those two guys in as like the 20 plus million dollar players? I mean, everybody wants him to be Kevin Durant. And again, last thought on Ingram for me, like everybody wants him to be Kevin Durant. Like that's not who he is. He's Tracy McGrady if he gets to his ceiling because he's never going to be able to guard fours. Like whereas Durant can really protect the rim. Like we've not seen that from Brandon Ingram. So he's never probably going to be a four or five or like, or a small ball five. It's just not going to happen. That's the difference between you know, he might be four inches shorter than Kevin Durant, too, for all we know. Like, he's Trace <laughs> McGrady. Like, that's who he is. He's not even Paul George, who, who could credibly play the four because he's strong enough to really battle with guys. And now we're seeing with him, he's going to be out, you know, through the first of the year for sure. And with Ingram, like, I think that's who he is. And you need to see – we need to see how he does in terms of, like, can he be a secondary playmaker? Can he make threes? And I, like I said, I feel very comfortable this year in him being able to do that. So we think both those guys – or Ingram is the best bet for a max or 20 plus million dollars a year. The guy I think has maybe the most variance of this like group, these fourth year players that are getting restricted is Demonis Sabonis, Arvidas's son. You know, he kind of struggled, I think, as a rookie in Oklahoma City, kind of playing a lot of four, and then has done well at both spots in Indiana the last couple of years. Last year, 14 and nine, three assists a game, good feel for the game. I think he's more of a center, but they play him a lot of power forward. Is he the kind of guy that can put up numbers and get $15, 20000000 million a year himself? I think he's going to get – I would be – I think this contract is going to come right in around like $70 million. Like I think he's going to get like four for 70, somewhere in that mix, like four for 65. Like, you know, I think they're going to get this done before the season starts. It's that Indy worked last year. They, get, they got Miles Turner like early in the year on his extension. I think they really like the way these two guys play together. He's, you know – I get what you're saying, Zan, about him. Like, is he putting up bad stats or, or can he just get numbers? They played him 24% of the time at the four last year. So 76% of his minutes, small ball five. He fits with Turner. He, you know, he, he likely fits with. That's the question. Does he? Like, he fits as like a, you know, soaking up minutes at center. Like, the two of them together. Is that something you really want to pay $50 million a year for? I mean, I think you can pay. Yeah, I think so. I mean, because I think that guys have different roles, right? And he can score off the bench. He he does really rebound. If you play him next to, you know, the other thing too is like he's shown good improvement with a lot of his skill set. I mean, like he shot a ton of threes. I don't, I don't know if you actually have his stats open. But I have his stats. He did not shoot a ton of threes. He, he no, made, no, he, sh- he shot a ton of threes his first year in Oklahoma right, City. Right. Like, they tried to make him a stretch four, and I think they, you know, good on, like, Indiana just realizing, like, hey, this is a small ball five. This is who he is. Like, he's an energy guy, and I, I think, like, you're looking at a guy that's, like, 15 and 10 at 22 years old, 23 years old, who you can play next to Miles Turner, who does shoot threes and can also protect the rim, and it's a very good compliment for a guy like this. Yeah, and I think that shows you, like, the limitations of, like, the threes, like, we always think like, oh, threes are just more efficient shots just based on the fact that it's like the math. But like he's somebody who's really benefited from like, look, I'm not great at this right now. If I take this away, I could be really efficient. And that's reflected in his stats. He shot 47% true shooting as a rookie, shooting a lot of threes. Now he hardly shoots any and he's up to 63% true shooting because he's really effective inside. 
it, it really hurts my feelings that you thought I was going to say he shot a lot of threes this year. I just, like, that's not something <laughs> well, you I know, knew. Like, you were ready to cut me off. Like, no, 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 you're an idiot. Like, No, no, because you hear that all the time with these, like, stretch bigs where they're like, he shoots a lot of threes. And then you look at the stats and it's like, oh, yeah, he shot, like, one three a game for, like, 25%. Like, and that's somehow, like, a stretch big. Um, he actually shot 52%, but it was only on. Uh, 17 shots. Yeah, yeah. 17 shots. I, I don't know. I, he'd scare me to to pay him 20 million or whatever. He, I don't 15. think he'll get that. I don't think he'll get that. So you think like he, for his 60, role. like I think he'll get right, like right in that 15 to 18 million a year range. Like I think he does deserve to get paid. Maybe they can get him on like, you know, maybe they can get him on like the four for like 45 type deal that guys get sometimes, but that seems a little light. I do think he might get more than that in free agency. And I think the Pacers will not want to let him test the open market. Cause you're right. If somebody goes wild, I don't want to match $80 million for Sabonis. And I might have to do it, you know? Well, he's one of those, like, overqualified to be a backup center. Like, Mason Plumley, I think, is like that. And he got, like, $15 million a year. But then they play him in the same role as a backup and then play him sometimes together with Jokic. And I don't know if it's the best use of assets. I mean, that Plumley contract, and again, this is another guy that made Team USA this summer because of how bad it was. But, like, this is another, like, Plumley, that contract became, like, a trade chip, like, immediately. And he's great as, like, a playmaking, like, backup five man and that is kind of who Sabonis is he obviously can score it a little bit better he rebounds a little better doesn't really protect the rim quite as much but if you look at what he provides to the Pacers I like I said I think they're going to want to get this done earlier than later because I, I do think they don't want to give some team an opportunity to go crazy because at some point it is like a law of diminishing returns and if you're playing if you're paying Sabonis and Miles Turner you know, $40 million a year between them and then you have to you know re-sign all the depot and you just spend all this money in free agency like then you kind of cap your team out and you lose your flexibility, I think. Well, you know, the team that I would lurk for me that I'd be scared of if I'm Indiana, team like Sacramento. I'm looking at their cap sheet, $63 million they've committed for next year. And I tend to think Bagley can be the center and you like Harry Giles and and, and they paid Deadman. So maybe they're, they think they're fine there. But if they don't, if they like, we need a center who can kind of move the ball and play smart basketball you know Vlade I don't know their relationship with Sabonis but I'm just good I'm sure lumping them all together as Eastern Europeans um he fits their timeline too like a team like that has the space to offer somebody like Sabonis 20 million dollars a year the one team the other team that I think makes a lot of sense and I don't know what their cap sheet looks like they just gave a lot of money to bigs but like the Mavericks I thought made some sense with him to play him next to Porzingis because Similar situation, Porzingis, in my opinion, is just a better offensive version of Miles Turner. And so I think, like, you know, you do the foreign thing, like, Mark's trying to sell tickets all over the world, whatever. Like, I thought he made some sense. I don't know if they can do it now. It doesn't – probably can't do it now. But And we should say, like, all these – you know, you've mentioned it. Like, these guys are going to get paid. We're talking $20 million for some of these guys because the free agency class is it's very thin. Yeah. And there are going to be teams with cast base. Like, I'm just looking at a team like Toronto, let's say. They have $20 million committed for next, the following year, not this year, but the year after. But they, yeah, but that's because, like, they, they, they'll probably re sign Kyle, like, Fred Van Vliet's a free agent. Like, we're not talking about a bunch of guys here. Like, they're talking about some guys that are interesting, but Toronto, you know, I don't know, like, maybe Kyle decides, like, hey, I want to go to Philly and play point guard. I could see that happening. And so Toronto could really have to fill a roster out. Well, yeah. And I think they're going to, Siakam, I didn't even mention as a restricted because I figured they'll max him or close to it. He's getting maxed. We didn't put guys on the list that like were pretty much no brainer decisions. I think all three of those guys that we mentioned, Jalen Brown, Brandon Ingram, Sabonis, like you'd bet on them staying. 
but there's at least a chance that they move. And I think that's what's key for them. And for sure. And one last guy I want to talk about in terms of this big money guys, the guy that you're kind of interested in established product guy already making $20 million a year. DeMar DeRozan making 27 this year has a player option for next year. Can he, can he match that in the free market in today's NBA? Okay. So he's 30. He's going to be, he's 30 now this year. He has, remarkably this is his 11th 11th year in the nba he's a guy that's been incredibly you know productive i think he scored right at about 20 points a game his career he makes 28 million dollars this coming year right san antonio did not sign him to that contract toronto obviously did they you know he was i think when he signed this deal he was coming off a year where he averaged like 23 24 points a game or something he's opting out of this deal okay like i am 100 sure of it this is probably his last opportunity to get a big deal so I think he's going to opt out. My question is, if he opts out, what does DeMar DeRozan's market look like? This is a guy that's just like, he's just like much maligned. It's like, oh, he doesn't shoot threes. But like, I mean, shit, Dan, like he's a good player. And he's a guy that you can score points with. He can be your lead option if you want him to be, but you kind of have to build your offense around him. So like, can he get four years, $100 million on the, on the free agency market with as thin as this market is? Yeah, and you talk about like... There are certain play GMs who are like, look, talk about true shooting all you want. And by the way, it's true shooting is not terrible. It's like 55%. Um, it's about average. But they're like, oh, look, this is a guy who averaged 20 points the last six years. How many guys in the free agent class can say that? Um, it's possible. Terry Rozier got close to $20 million a year. He, he's also become a better player in terms of like the three point, like his rebound percentage is up, assist percentage is up, like steals are in line with his career. Like, yes, he turns it over a little bit more and he uses a lot less possessions, but like he's become a better like team basketball player than he was before in Toronto. So he offers a little bit of a different skill set than he did when he was up for a contract four years ago. Right. And I think there is a distinction between some, like him and, and Wiggins, you know, who are just like pure empty calorie scores. Like the fact that he gets the line makes you know 83 percent of his shots at the line he's still good in the mid-range like he's an okay score in terms of efficiency you know he's not like a bad like total like joke score do you think he might go back to toronto like we mentioned all the cap space you know i thought about that i i think there's a lot of bad blood there but if they just give him a hundred million dollars maybe not because my, my thing is like we see the market dry up on guys like we've seen it happen recently and you're talking about a 31 year old mid-range jump shooter now, Chris Paul got $155 million, but I don't think DeMar's ever been nearly as good as Chris Paul. Like, I don't, DeMar's not a future Hall of Famer, not at this point. You know, it seems unlikely that he gets there either. Talking about like a four time All Star. But there's going to be teams that need scoring. And I think that he's going to be out there and people are going to be like, you know what? DeMar DeRozan's a good ass basketball player. So, what would you pay him? Like, let's say all these guys, like say you have have money, like say you're Toronto next year and you have like Siakam is your star and you want to add a secondary star. Give your best offers for Jalen per year, just salary, Jalen Brown, Brandon Ingram, Sabonis and DeMar DeRozan. Yeah. You know, to me, I think Brown and Sabonis are in the same boat in the sense that I like don't want to pay. Like I don't have to pay quite as much for their past production because they've been good but not great. And I, I know I have to pay a little bit more if I think they're gonna take another step. So those guys to me are probably like right in the like fourteen to eighteen million range. Like if I can get them for four for sixty, that's beautiful. If I have to overpay a little bit, I really wanna wait. I don't wanna go to that hundred million, twenty million a year type deal, you know? 
Brandon Ingram, I think you got a max. I think it's the bottom line. Like you might look like an idiot, but I, I, that's why I said I, I want to wait and see. If I'm the Pelicans, like I'm not, I'm not putting pen to paper with this guy until I watch him throughout the year. Now, if he's really good and it's been like 60 games, like sure, yeah, I'll give him a max before the year ends. Though if he doesn't hit free agency, but I think he's going to end up getting that full like 105 million, uh, 111 million, whatever it ends up being. You know, because he doesn't have, a, he won't have the. Uh, you know, like the Rose rule triggers yet because he's not been that good. But I, so he'll get that like 105. DeRozan, you know, it's really interesting. He's probably worth in a vacuum $20 million a year. I don't know if I'd want to do it though. And I certainly wouldn't want to go more than like three or four years because if his athleticism goes, all of a sudden you're sitting there like 33, 34 year old DeMar DeRozan and you got to pay him another $50 million. Like that seems pretty bad. I think I'd really want to go short-term higher AAV with him and do maybe like a two-year $45 million deal or something and try to just really pay for like the last of his peak. Right. But remember, he does have that $27 million player option. So he's not going to be inclined to take the short-term deal. You know, exactly. A, exactly. You're right. You're right. He, he has the same decision. And it happened this summer with Harrison Barnes and Al Horford, where it's like they they're player option is probably more than the salary they can get, but they're like, look, this is a good chance to lock in a long-term deal. And I think you're right. DeMar DeRozan needs to look at it that way. Like this is, if he's ever going to keep getting $20 million, he needs to strike while the iron is at least like lukewarm and, and do it now. Essentially. Like if he has a good year this year, he just has to opt out. Even if he has the same year as last year, he just has to opt out. Cause you know, yeah, you can make $28 million, and we joke about this, but you're, never, you're not getting another deal that's paying you like $25 to $28 million a year. It's just not happening, right? You're not getting a super max. But like, you, can get, you can get four years, $80 million. You can get four, five years, $100 million maybe with an opt-out after three. And then you, know, you, you just keep it moving. And so you can try to get it as many more contracts as you want. It's like the old Joe Johnson thing where all of a sudden you look up and Joe Johnson made $260 million in his career. And you're like, how did this happen? And you're like, oh, yeah, he signed like three massive deals. And I think that's what we're looking at from DeMar DeRozan. And that's why I, I assume he'll opt out. But I, I don't know what the market is for him. Like, if, if John Moran is, like, really good and you're Memphis, like, would you spend on DeMar DeRozan and just kind of accelerate your timeline? Probably not, right? No, I, he's not a player. And none of these guys, maybe Ingram, I, I agree, is probably the one guy to be curious about, but it's still a risk. Football season is here, and it's time to dominate the competition with your fantasy picks. And R.J. Bell's Dream Preview on Podcast One Sportsnet is your secret weapon to victory. I said the fact they didn't run it up in week one tells me this guy is so confident he wants to hide his strength. No matter the matchup, R.J.'s got you handled with top-notch analysis for the best NFL picks around. Now, is that true or not? I don't know. Very optimistic. Download R.J. Bell's Dream Preview every week on Apple Podcasts and podcast1.com. So, so all those guys we're talking about are guys make or break in terms of like, I guess there's not much break for all of them. They have like a, you know, they're all going to make a lot of money, but the upside is there for all of them to make a huge contract this summer in a depleted class. Our next group, talk about stakes, talk about make or break. It's more about the team. These guys we're calling hinge players. Like guys, like their team success may depend on just how good they're going to be. And that, how good they're going to be is up for debate. So the first guy I want to talk about in this category, Philadelphia 76ers, we've talked about them. Great top five, questionable six through 15. And so that makes, you know, second year guard Zaire Smith, a crucial hinge guy for them. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. If the Sixers are going to win the title, and you know they they have inter- they have a pretty interesting set of odds on Bovada to win the title. I, I want to say that they're like right around like fifteen or eighteen to one, and it's not a bad idea to take value plays like them, especially in a year that like the season's wide open. They need something from someone off their bench. I think we saw the best of James Ennis in the playoffs last year, and and that's a good contributor. You know what I mean to make open threes, like play hard, whatever. But they're going to end up – we already saw in media day, Embiid said that he played too many minutes last year. They're going to try to cap his minutes at 30 to start the year. I'm not sure quite how Brett Brown will do about that. Simmons will play an, an ass load of minutes just like he does every year. But Zaire Smith, like, he's different than anyone they have, right? He's super athletic. Like, he, he's 6'5". He's really long. Played six games last year. Everybody loved him in summer league. Tons of dunks. Like, great in transition. They need this guy to be a player because they need another wing. The team is so light on wings, right? And they need a guy who can make an open shot. If Zaire Smith ends up being like a 10 to 12 point per game score and a guy that can play defense and a guy that gives you another look in crunch time, it gives the Sixers a a really good chance to be a title contender, which I don't think – I don't believe they're a title contender right now, just for the record. I don't think they are. You may feel differently than me, but I think Zaire Smith's one of the guys that it's like, man, if this guy's a real player, then their lineup looks a lot different. Yeah, and it's almost like knowing that expectations are, are limited. This is a second-year guy. You know, he wasn't highly productive as a, as a freshman. You know, it's kind of a project, and then he missed most of his rookie year. So no one's expecting him to come in and score 20 points a game or, you know, be anything close to that. But it's like, can he give you, like, enough spark? You know, he's almost like a Hollywood Brown for Baltimore. Like, can he give us a few, like, little shots of energy enough to supplement our stars? Um, cause you're right. They do need that. Like all their bench guys are guys that are like serviceable pros like James Ennis or Mike Scott and Kyle Quinn. They're all like fine. If they were playing on a court, like with LeBron or something, they'd, they'd blend in and they'd be fine. But you need somebody to like that defenses are actually worried about somebody who can actually make things happen himself. Um, I don't know how well Brett Brown's going to stagger the minutes. So no, and and you need somebody to guard. Like when you play that lineup with like Mike Scott and James Ennis and like Trey Burke, like that, that's a terrible defensive lineup. So like, let's say you throw Al Horford in there. That's great. That's one good defender. And then you need Zaire Smith. Like you need somebody who's going to guard wings, you know? Well, Brett Brown, I'd I'd have to look at the numbers to see like how well he did this last year, but it's one of my big frustrations as a fan, like presuming Embiid's healthy even if he only plays 30 minutes a night, like there shouldn't be a minute that you go without Simmons or Embiid on the court. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I agree with you. I don't know why coaches never do that. Like it, you don't have to play them always together. I mean, in the playoffs, you want to get them ready, you know, and have that chemistry, but this is a lineup that needs a superstar on the court at all times. And they can't go with the bench lineup as currently constructed unless somebody like Zaire Smith steps up. No. And I think that that's part of like, I don't, I don't know. It's like, to me, it's like Billy Donovan. Like we saw this, right? Like we saw this with Scott Brooks, like play your best players. Also like staggering Simmons gives him an opportunity to like be your best player for a little while, which I think is good. Like they can almost have two different lineups, like the Simmons team and the Embiid team. Cause like as good as the other three guys are in their starting lineup, you can't really run an offense through Josh Richardson. You could try with Tobias Harris. You cannot. Efficient. Al Horford's not that guy either. You can run a play, like you can have Al Horford be like your playmaker and stuff. You can't really. It's tough to run a ton of stuff through him because he doesn't score quite as much. But you can run an offense through Al Horford. He can kind of be like. It's funny to say this now because Horford's been good for so long, but he can kind of be like a poor man's Jokic now. You know, he can do that's that. Fair. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. 
But you don't, but the other thing is too, like you don't need to, if you do stagger, and I know what, this is what you're saying. If you stagger your minutes, run your offense through Simmons, run your offense through Embiid and then figure it out when they're both on the court. Like that's totally fine. And again, they're going to start, which is great. They should, but you know, you can get Embiid off the court with like eight minutes to go in the first quarter, get him back in, in the second quarter and have Simmons staggered in the, cause Simmons is going to play a ton of minutes. Like, I don't know if we can get props on Bovada and Simmons playing like the most minutes. He, in the NBA. He, he seems like one of those indestructible guys. So we talk about like Zaire Smith, like stakes, like for the team, if he's great, as we said, they, theoretically could be a title contender right if I, I, I think so and the bench is just a dud it's one of the situations where they lose points every time they go to the bench what happens can they can should they make a move i mean or is it just going to be like doomed to like brett brown leaving for the spurs as you predicted earlier i think that's what's going to happen and i don't and again it's not as simple as like zaire smith becomes great because like here's the thing if ben simmons comes back and all of a sudden he's a 33 percent three-point shooter on four attempts a game guess what? They're a freaking title contender, you know, but it doesn't seem likely that that's going to happen. And it doesn't seem likely that anyone else is going to take like a huge jump. They have very good players already. We've probably seen the best. It's Pius Harris. I would likely guess that he's going to be worse this year. So I think like you got to look and see like which guy gives an opportunity to scale up. And I think that's why it's Zaire Smith. I do think that the Sixers should be a little bit more cognizant of like moving Embiid as I've talked about before, but I don't think they're going to do that. So I think the likeliest outcome is either they, get to the West Eastern Conference Finals, maybe make the finals, and then if Zaire Smith's good, like, you know, that's a big possibility. If not, I think Brett Brown's probably done there. Yeah, and that's that's why we say Zaire Smith's a hinge player because it's like we don't we just don't know, really. You know, like you kind of know who Embiid is at this point. We both have an idea what Simmons can do with Embiid and without Embiid. Um, like guys like, you know, James Ennis and Mike Scott are very known quantities. So it's just like, what is Zaire Smith? I have no idea. Um slightly more of an idea about our second hinge player luke Kennard, on detroit it's just a matter of like you know he's been pretty good in limited minutes hasn't grabbed hold of the shooting guard spot now entering year three so like why is he so important and what does that mean for this team yeah so i i think him and tony snell obviously they're at different points in their career but they're they're similar types of roles like the pistons i don't love everything they've done in the off season. But I think this is a time where they, they have, in my opinion, like Blake Griffin's probably like the fourth or fifth best player. And maybe, maybe better than that. Like Giannis and then Embiid is probably better than him, but he's not always healthy. And then like Blake Griffin's like, you know, the Bradley Beal, Ben Simmons, like type tier, right? Like he's that good. So I think you need shooters around him. Like you have Andre Drummond, you have Ben Simmons. We, or I'm sorry, Blake Griffin. We know Reggie Jackson's starting. So you need to make shots. And that's Luke Kennard's job, right? Like, if Luke Kennard can be a big-time three-point shooter and we can see him and, – and same with Tony Snell. If these two guys can be in the mold of, you know, your J.J. Reddicks, your Kyle Corvers, your Ray Allens, where, like, you're, you know, creating a ton of gravity and it gives enough space for your playmakers, the Pistons have a chance to win, like, 50 games. I, I know that seems insane to say, Zam. Well, I may be calling him Corver Reddick, but like I, I just take that a step down. Like, I mean, if he's they a hit, white shooter. What am I supposed to say? I'm not <laughs> going to compare him across racial lines. Come on. But you know, like as crazy as it sounds, I was I was writing about this. Kennard shot forty percent from three, and and Tony Snell has recently as well. So it's not like ridiculous to think that these guys can thrive in that limited role. It's just a matter of like Dwayne Casey for me. Like, oh, I understand Luke Kennard's not super long you know he's white 
He's, you know, maybe not a good defender. He doesn't handle the ball at all either. Like the Sixers would put Redick and like dribble handoffs to make some plays and Corver at the same, he didn't really dribble it a ton. But the reason I use those two comparisons is like, those are two guys that figured out a way to really impact offenses with the ball in their hands while they weren't great playmakers. And Kennard is terrible at that right now. And so is Tony Snell. Like they don't dribble at all. Yeah, but do they need to? No, that's the point. It's like, can you figure out a way to really impact games? Like, running off screens, like getting DHOs, like taking handoffs and making pocket passes. Like that's how a guy like Luke Kennard and Tony Snell really level up their game from being just a spot up jump shooter. Now there's a defensive side of the ball too. And that's part of it, obviously, but this whole like three and D nonsense, I think one of the things that people forget is like, if you can do a little bit more with the ball in your hands and people have to guard you as a jump shooter off the dribble, as a passer off the dribble. I mean, that's what made those guys really, really good because they're not just spot up jump shooters, not who they are. And so if you're a guy like Luke Kennard and you take that leap to be like a 13, 14 point per game guy, your assists go up, your turnovers go down, and teams have to guard you no matter where you are on the floor, all of a sudden Detroit's lineup looks a lot different is what I'm saying. And I, that's why I agree with you. Like on paper, if those guys are good, that starting five is the top five in the East. Yeah, it's five. good. It's pretty good. Yeah. And if they're not, let's say Luke Kennard, like just same old role, 20, 25 minutes a game. The downside is really big. That's why I think he's such a crucial hinge player because, you know, Casey likes to start Bruce Brown because I guess he's a good defender and doesn't really contribute much else. Yeah, they, they played Luke Kennard 82% of his minutes at the three last year. That seems suboptimal. Right? <laughs> and then um, and I have this like nightmare that they're going to be like, look, we're going to play Reggie Jackson a lot. We're going to play Derrick Rose a lot. <laughs> Derrick Rose a lot because he's a big name and he's an MVP and players like him and respect him. And and then in that case, I don't see them winning more than 42 games. I just don't think you can do it with that two-guard lineup like that. And Dwayne Casey is a lot like the older coach who kind of like falls in love with like the scrappy rookie and is just like, we got to play this guy. Sort of like the, I don't, you know, I don't even know. I can't think of a big example off the top of my head because I'm a bad journalist, but... <laughs> It's like it's like that where he's just like, man, I love Bruce Brown. I love what he brings to the table. He's a junkyard dog. It's like Dwayne, he can't score. Like you right, can't. and it's like as good as Blake Griffin was, and I agree, he was probably a top ten player, last top fifteen player. Their offense was twenty first. Yeah, it's bad. That's Dwayne Casey for you, by the way. And, and Dwayne Casey, you don't think like, hey, this guy's a great shooter off the bench. Let's let's, let's go with Bruce Brown instead. It just doesn't make sense to me. And and maybe starting lineup doesn't matter, but it's just a matter of minutes. And and he played, you know, twenty two minutes a game. It's just, I don't know. Unless I'm missing something, he's a crucial piece for them, and they really need to figure that dynamic out. You're you're exactly right. I want to I want to stick on Dwayne Casey for two seconds here. I, I want to say like remember in Toronto like their offenses was like their offenses were pretty good, but it just doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like they were ever really good. It feels like they were efficient at doing like anything. They were things. they were good eventually. Like I think there was a time when Kyle started shooting threes and um that I think their offense was pretty efficient, but. I think it was also because Nick Nurse came in as an assistant too and, and kind of like modernized them a little bit. Yeah, for sure. All right, next, last guy here. Um, do you want to talk about the next guy, Avery Bradley? So I do, mainly because I think everybody assumes that like Kyle Kuzma, who just for some reason got $3 million a year from Puma for the next five years, is like the key to the Lakers season. Totally disagree with that because like I think Kuzma, like we sort of know who he is. He's just going to take threes he's not a great defender like he'll be their third leading scorer but like I just don't think Kyle Kuzma is very good and I don't think he's the guy yeah yeah if he scores 25 points a game it'll be great 
the Lakers need production from guards. They, they have arguably the worst guards in the NBA, I would say. Like, I, I don't know how close it is, but their guard rotation is like. Well, I, I would I would specify because I, I don't, th- you know, they have Danny Green, remember, who played well. And I think he's a perfect three and D guy for them. So it's, it's basically like point guard, worst point guard. And, and so for me, it's like you need what they really need is they need someone who can guard point guards. And I don't know if Danny Green wants to do that all the time, but LeBron's going to have the ball in his hand, hands a ton. And so for me, like we're hearing Avery Bradley's a superstar. A lot of people are still saying he's a great defender, even though the stats haven't borne that out. I do think it's closer to him being a good defender than it is him being a bad defender. But if he can, I mean, he was terrible last year. Terrible. If he's he the last two years, like I do this thing where it's like least valuable player and it's a player who plays a lot and just not contributing. And Avery Bradley's unfortunately fit that role for a few reasons. For one, like he has this reputation as a great defender. It's just off the ball. He's not good. Right. And, and he's small. I mean, he, he's a, I think he, that's why you're optimistic about him in the Lakers, like a more limited role. Let's play him as a point guard on defense. Cause when you play him as a wing, he's just small. And it's like, it's, it's kind of like Marcus smart for me where it's like, Marcus Smart's a better defender. Don't get me wrong. But and Marcus like, Smart's like four inches and 50 pounds heavier than him, you know? <laughs> but it's like they, they get so much credit. They're like, oh, Avery Bradley can like capably or kind of guard small forwards. We're great. It's like, you know who else can guard a small forward? An actual small forward, you know? And like the that's kind of the... <laughs> and that's also the kind of role he plays offensively because he doesn't do much with the ball aside from shoot um, threes. So it's like you're just... He's just like a tiny, small forward at this point. Like here, here's the key. Here's the key with him, Zane. This is what it comes down to. They want to play Rondo because LeBron loves Rondo. Probably less Rondo is better. Avery Bradley make open threes, guard the other team's point guard, and make it really hard for them. So the Lakers are better defensively because they are going to struggle defensively this year. And that's the bottom line. That is his role. If he does that as best he can, and he's really good at it, Lakers are a title. The Lakers may win the title for all I know. Yeah, you're right. That now you're hammering it in. Now you're now you're putting a little first take heat on this ball. That, well, that's what I'm saying. Because like it's like I, we don't need Avery Bradley to be 28 minutes a game with a point guard and five assists and all these scoring numbers. We, he doesn't need to do that. He's not a point guard. Make open threes. Guard the other team's best point best point guard. Make it really really difficult on them. Take some pressure off your wing defenders and the guys that protect the rim. If he does that, which I think he's capable of doing it, I don't know that he'll shoot enough to do it. But he has to be guardable on offense. That's the bottom line. And LeBron hopefully can put him in that situation. But I also want him to play well because, like I said, I think less Rondo is probably a very good thing for the Lakers despite what they think. Well, and I think Rondo off the bench is a good thing for everybody. Yeah, and, I agree. And, and Bradley, is like, he's like, I would call like a 3 and D point guard. But you're right. He's like, he's just going to shoot threes and play defense and not really touch the ball a lot. Which no, exactly. Yeah. Point guard. Um, but I, and I agree. Like, I think he's really critical because I've seen Rondo. I've seen Gwyn Cook. Um, I know they're not at this point championship caliber. No, they're not. They're not. Um, all right, let's move on. I want to skip past the next thing. And, and guys who I think have a lot to lose, basically, like they might get written off. Like their careers are going to go to the where the busts. So we got 15 minutes for three guys here. This is our last segment, right? These are like you're you're on the bust side of things, or you're uh, like the first the first guys we talked about were about to like make it make gold, make make it rain at the clubs. Next guys were keys to their team. These guys are 
their careers are hanging on the balance. Like they're like Sylvester Stallone hanging off the edge of the cliff. Like, are we going to, you know, are they going to drop or not? Can, can we get a Bovada prop on how many movie references <laughs> you know, make per episode? I love it. I mean, it's best. It's awesome. I just feel like, you know, Do you, you don't get enough. I, I just hope kids remember Cliffhanger. It was a good movie. Um, the villain is John Lithgow. Classic. Uh, so guys who might fall off literally and might never be seen from again. Let's do it. What do you got? Well, who do you, do you want? The older versions or the younger versions? Because there's two in both. Okay, let's go. Uh, let's go older versions. Yeah. Do you want to stick <laughs> stick with the Lakers and Dwight Howard? Like, is this last chance to be an NBA player? I mean, I think it's got to be right. Like he he has said he's open to being a rim run screen setting five man. Like he'll be a second unit. He signed a non guaranteed deal, so he is clearly okay competing for a spot. I don't see how it works. It seems insane to play him and Anthony Davis together. Obviously, they, you know, they, they, they don't want Anthony Davis to play the five. He doesn't want to play the five. Frank Vogel's going to get fired if that happens. But I would expect Dwight Howard in limited minutes, if he can handle himself in the locker room, to be a solid enough contributor to get another contract. I, that's my prediction. It may end up sounding very stupid. But, like, he can still rebound and he can still protect the rim. He's kind of a sieve on offense. He's terrible in transition D. But, he, you know, if he plays 12 minutes a game, like, I think Dwight Howard can be very useful. Well, does he want to be? Like, you talk about guys who who filled, like, this kind of role, like an old Andrew Bogut or an old Zaza Pachulia. Like, clearly he's better than those kind of guys. Or Joe, Joe Kim Noah last year. Like, he was done. He was out of the league. And then all of a sudden he's back in, like, as an energy five man, which is always who he was, but it was less minutes. He was good in the locker room. And... You know, now he's haunting Devin Booker's dreams and pickup runs. Right. But, and, and Dwight Howard, I think his role really is going to be like, let's buy Anthony Davis some time, a few games here and there, rest and get ready for the playoffs. Does Dwight Howard, who made, how much has he made? $200 million in his career? Like, does he want to do that? I'm looking at that. I'm looking at that right now. I, I, I but my, And that's the thing too. Like, let's say you stagger Anthony Davis's minutes or you load manage Anthony Davis by playing Dwight Howard and he has a couple games of like 22 and 16 and all of a sudden the media is like, oh my God, Dwight Howard's back. Like, can he keep it together when, you know, it comes to crunch time and they're like, we're not playing you. Yeah, he's made $238 million. And I think he's motivated to like prove, change the narrative around himself. But... At the same time, it's like it's like the, you know the terrible husband who shows back up and it's like, look, baby, I've changed. You know, I'm going to be a good man. I'm going to be a good father now, and he could probably ride it out for a few months <laughs> before like those old habits start kicking back in. And I think Dwight Howard's probably like that in the sense that like, look, it is hard for all these guys, for Carmelo Anthony, for Dwight Howard, for Dwayne Wade, we saw in Cleveland, to go from being an all star to being an eighth man or whatever. It, it's just a hard mindset that some people just never adopt i mean he like i said his last year in charlotte which is the last year you know he played 81 games last year only played nine games like and people kind of weren't he he wasn't a great offensive player you know efficiently his efficiency was down but he was an awesome he was very very good defensively in charlotte like he gobbled up defensive rebounds he was really good on the offensive glass block percentage was as high as it had been since 2012 2013 like that's who this guy can be. And the Lakers might need a rim protector. So I, you know, you're talking to me the Lakers, because if you tell me the Lakers have Avery Bradley, just playing the three and D point guard, Danny green is shooting guard, you know, LeBron and Anthony Davis, not a bad forward combination. And and Kuzma, Kuzma is obviously the other starter. Yeah. I wouldn't mind dumping him to the side of the road, but it's, it's there. Like the pieces are almost there for a title team. It's just like, can Vogel manage 
those egos and everything else. And, and can the off. team and can the team like keep itself from imploding? You know, if they're winning early, it probably will be okay because, as we know, winning cures everything. But if you have a stretch where, like, let's say they start the year like fifteen and thirteen or thirteen and fifteen, like, then do you stay together? You're twenty eight games in the year, but you're not competing for the one seed, like. And then is it, is it okay? Can you like stay even keel? I don't know the answer to that. And that's, yeah, I think the- they have the biggest upside downside in the league. Um, do you want to end on that? Is that a good place to end? Or do you want no, to talk? Let's about- do, let's do uh, we got some time. Let's do a young guys. Let's do, let's do a young guy or let's do two young guys. Cause the other one you had was Derek Rose. And I think he's not. Well, the other guy, Isaiah Thomas too. Like I think he's on the verge of the abyss. He's, and guys he- in DC love him. They love him at media day, but he's already injured. He's not playing like that guy. He's, he could be done. He's probably done, unfortunately. But this is his last year. I mean, talk about a pl- chance. Like, going to Washington is going to be tanking. No John Wall. There's a lane here to play and resurrect your career, but, like, the stakes are high. Because if he doesn't, then he's out of the league and he's playing in the big three next year. Yeah. I, I think that's probably the most likely thing for me. Like, I just don't see it happening. I, it's just he's not a plus player anymore. He's battled a ton of injuries. He's tough as hell. Like, He's pretty clearly a good locker room guy. He didn't have any problems in Denver last year. I think he'll be fine in D.C., but, like, the big payday ain't coming for him. It does, even if he averages 20 points a game this year, like, he's not getting paid. It's just not happening, unfortunately. He's probably destined to be a minimum guy for the rest of his career, if that. Yeah, and, and it's sad when that happens to young guys, but there's a bunch of them. I, I can just run through them quickly. Like, former, like, top picks, lottery picks that might be on the verge of, like, dropping out of – NBA rotations and then it's it's not a far remove to drop out of the league. We just saw with Josh Jackson, he's gonna be playing in the G League. Former number one ranked prospect on my board. Um, so tell me, like, are these guys gonna last? Are you gonna save them or not? Are they gonna drop off the cliff out of the league or out of like any, you know, reasonable rotation? Jaleel Okafor on the Pelicans right now had a few nice games for them last year, but it's getting crowded there now. I think he stays as a rotation player in the NBA. I think he has a good enough year that whether it's not on the Pelicans next year, I think people are like, okay, he's committed to losing weight. Like he's been taking care of himself off the court. I know he had some issues with some other stuff. I don't feel super comfortable talking about it because I'm not 100% sure, but you know, I think he's doing the right things. I I think Okafor is going to stick as a rotation player. Um, Moving to Charlotte guy that some people thought was going to be Jamal Murray-esque. Malik Monk entering year three has not really done anything in the NBA so far. Yeah, I don't know. He, he has a very wide, wide range of outcomes. He hasn't proven to be the microwave scorer everyone thought he was going to be. I don't think the Charlotte staff is super happy with him. They, they have a ton of younger guards that they're trying to look at as well. It sounds He seems like a change of scenery guy to me, and I think somebody will take a shot on him. But like we're talking about like a lottery pick that he might like get unguaranteed camp deals. If the, if the Hornets decline his qualifying offer, seriously, like, I don't know who's paying him like three years, 10 million. I, I don't know. Well, cause he hasn't proven that he has any role yet. Correct. Like, and he, he just can't dribble. He can't dribble. He can't dribble. He's not That's a backup point guard. He, he hasn't proven to be a good scorer at the shooting guard spot yet. He's small for that role. A guy who's kind of the same city, maybe falling off Michael kid, girl, entering year eight. Yeah, he is to me. I think he's a guy that's always going to get minutes. He's always going to get a contract because he's a really good locker room guy. People like him. He plays his ass off. Like he knows all the plays. You never have to worry about him. He obviously got that like forty-ish million dollar extension. I don't think he's going to get that. He does strike me as a guy that gets like two years, eight million, two years, seven million, and then people are like, okay, well, like what role can we find him in? But the problem is, 
he's just too old and it's just never come together as a shooter. You know, you kind of have to play him as like a four or even a five. I think Charlotte will tinker with that a little bit, but I don't think he'll be out of the league, but I think that is Michael Kidd Gilchrist like a good rotation player on a contender. I think that's probably done after this year, but I think he will continue to get contracts. Yeah. I could see him on the Lakers, like playing four next to Anthony Davis's five for minutes next year. But I agree. I think he he's like a 10th man at this point. Unfortunately, it sucks for a number two pick. And if you want to look at like what went wrong in Charlotte, like when you just whiff, basically, sorry to say, on the second overall pick, it's hard to recover from that, especially when you never get another top five pick for like 10 yeah. years. Yeah, I mean, it's not even not even just that. Like we've talked about that before with like it being Bradley Beal, but then like the foundation there has been, they've gone through a ton of coaches, like they've gone through a ton of schemes. Like there's never been a lot of stability there. Plus like you get a ton of blame if you're Michael K. Gilchrist because like, they've whiffed on all their other picks too. Like I, I get what you're saying. Like it's the two pick, but like when you just consistently whiff on 9, 10, 11, you just never come up with a good player. Like, then all of a sudden, like, he has bad players to play with. They whipped on a bunch of free agent contracts, and it's just kind of like, I hope he gets out of there, and I hope he gets in a situation where he gets a chance to, like, have some stability in a role because it feels like they've jerked him around a lot too, you know? And our last guy, another forward number two pick, a guy that I really liked in college. I really like him just in general. Jabari Parker, he's not too far removed from averaging 20 points per game in Milwaukee. He's not too far removed from making $20 million for Chicago. Now he's on Atlanta providing defense, I guess, for them. Um, but it feels like a make or break year for him in terms of like, is any team going to trust him as a valuable piece? This seems like a wild comparison, but he strikes me as the most likely guy to like turn into Anthony Randolph. And they're not the same player, but like Anthony Randolph for years, everyone was like, oh my God, so much talent. And obviously he wasn't the number two pick, but, and then like, he just goes to Russia and makes a crap load of money in like the Euro league every year. Cause he's just better in that role where he can be like a primary scorer and have the balls in his hand, ball in his hands. I don't know why Atlanta signed him. I, he makes zero sense with the tenor of their team, but like maybe they think, Hey, if he hits, like we have another score to go with Trey young and cam reddish. Maybe that's great. Maybe they have a big role plan for him, but he doesn't play defense. He doesn't impact the team positively when he's on the court. He has a ton of bad habits. I don't know how athletic he is anymore. I don't know if he can guard anybody. Like, you know who he reminds me of? Actually, it's a completely different comparison, but you reminded me of it. Totally different personality types, but Michael Beasley. Oh, yeah, similar. But yeah, I mean, not the same demons or the same talent level, but I agree with what you're saying. But the guy who's expected to be a 20-point-per-game scorer and, and kind of flashes that, you know, he averages per 36, 18, and 7, but it's just like it's not like per efficient and, and he kind of doesn't really have a role anymore doesn't have a position anymore really no that's uh, i mean he's a four you know I, I think like that was who we wanted him to be and he's not a three like I, it just isn't a three anymore he can't guard small forwards. Yeah, so what do you think went wrong with like because i when michael beasley kind of have an idea but injuries like, right injuries yeah because he was injured in college too in high school even and i guess he just like hurt his fitness and his athleticism and they played him as a small ball five at duke and he like bulked up and then he came to the nba and he looked like really athletic again and it was like oh man like he was i i kid you not like he, this sounds insane to say because they're not that different in age but like he was jason tatum before jason tatum like high level mid-range score played at simeon like throwing the ball in the mid post like footwork like we haven't seen any of that so i don't know if it's like he changed his game to try to be like a three and D guy. And that just really screwed him up because he was a high, if high usage, high volume, like pretty efficient score at the high school level. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, now he's a stretch five at Duke. And now he's a three and D wing at, with the box. Like, I just think he never had a situation where it was like, Hey, like you are, a, you're a 
secondary scorer. Like you're a guy that can carry a second unit. You're a guy that we can throw the ball to who can get a bucket. Like we don't see that from him anymore, you know? And that's who he was five years ago. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the Tatum comparison is interesting because they, I agree. They're both like scoring small forwards at Duke. And I just looked up the numbers. Tatum played three more minutes a game, but averaged less points than, than Jabari at college. 17 and 19 for Jabari. Jabari was better across the board in college. I'm, I'm not sitting here saying Duke ruined him. I'm just saying like there was a very big like push pull in terms of who they were. Whereas like Tatum got to be that guy at Duke where he was like a scoring small forward, like you said. And then in the NBA, like, yes, they made him more of a three point shooter. But then last year he became a little bit of a different player and he had a chance to kind of develop. Well, and also I think the difference is Tatum was like listed on this site, six, eight, 200 pounds in college. And so like he has room to grow into his body and the same site college basketball reference. I can't list Jabari six, eight two thirty, And so it's like the, the window. Yeah. And if you get hurt, it's like a Greg Monroe situation or it's like your injuries contribute to your fitness level. And that contributes to your injuries because you're carrying too much weight. And, um, I think that's, what's really doomed him. And it's such a shame. Cause I, I honestly thought he was going to be a, an all-star. Yeah, I think like that's where situation matters, but we will get you out of here so you don't get in trouble for showing up late to Downton Abbey. I would say uh, if I had to guess on Bovada, the amount of times that you do the little sleepy head nod during the movie is 10. I don't. don't have you seen Downton Abbey? I, I will not stand for this later. It's a good movie. No. I mean, not a good movie, a good show. It was a good show. We, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. The movie's doing great. It's racking up uh, box office dollars, but uh, we will get you out of here next week. Maybe do some make or break coaches. We have a couple other, we want to talk some rookies too, for sure, because there's a very interesting rookie class, but you know, I think what, what do we have? 10 guys, really interesting things and how they're going to impact the season. Like I said, 19 days till regular season basketball. So it's getting exciting. As always, I'm at CYS Tyler on Twitter. He is at Zan underscore Ellison. You can email the show, Zandrick Ellison at gmail.com. Listen to my other podcast, Create Your Shot, airs every Tuesday. And uh, we'll be back next week. And Zan, as always, it's a pleasure. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news.